So yesterday, I took my two oldest boys for their first ever concert experience at Austin City Limits. I tell you, they know what they're doing. We got in the car on the way home and the boys loved the Atlanta rapper 21 Savage of which none of the lyrics I ever can repeat in public or in private. (laughs) Then there was this thing called a silent disco. This is genius. You go into a room, huge, huge outdoor concert room and you're given a set of earphones, like noise canceling earphones. And then up on the stage are three different DJs, one doing rap music, one doing rock, and one doing like EDM, electronic stuff. It's totally silent, but they're jamming out all in rhyme together. And the boys came out and they were soaking wet with sweat. They just had the best time. They got exposed to maybe something for the first time, illegal, happening all around them. I feel badly for any of you that have teenage girls that are going to that with what they want to wear. Just saying, not trying not to place judgment. I was trying really hard. (laughs) But as we are driving home, so one of my, Logan, my oldest, he brought his good buddy, Pharaoh. And as we're driving home, Pharaoh says to me, he says, I just, I'm so excited. I think I'm going to be up all night telling my parents about everything that I experienced. And I was like, oh my gosh, they did it. ACL knows what they are doing. Like they are giving youth this huge huge experience of passion and being able to dance their hearts out totally with wild abandon. And then those youth go back and they tell their families and and they tell their friends and then they're going to, they're, they're literally sent to kind of go be free advertising for this festival. And as I was reflecting on that, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be so awesome if, that how, if that's how life was? Like you went to your job and whatever you experienced there and, you, and then you left your job and you were like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Or you're in school and you're, you're thinking about what you're going to do on the weekend. And you're like, I know what I'm supposed to do because I have been sent out. Or let's, let's give it a Sunday morning. You come here and then you walk out the doors and you're like, I know exactly what I have been sent to do. I've been talking and hearing from a lot of high school students, people in their middle age and, and people in their last bit of life. And they're like, I just, it's just not that easy for me. I, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I have been sent to do. And Dr. Rigby, who was our speaker at 915, she challenged us. She said, as Christians, we have to radically resist simply surviving another day. We have to radically resist thinking that our purpose, what we have been sent to do, is just to go back to wherever we were. Jesus is going to teach us today what it is that we have been sent to do. So before we hear God's word, let us first look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, myself included, others in this room have thought, what is it about? What is this laboring for school, this laboring 
to fill my checking account? What is this laboring for my family? What is it for? But God, you have called us to be sent into our worlds for a specific purpose. And so may you speak, God, speak to each of our hearts. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be pleasing. May they be acceptable to you for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is from Matthew's gospel, starting at verse 35 from chapter 9. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are three things that are going on in this story before we go on to the next part of our scripture. The first is is we've got Jesus. And, And I love how our author, Matthew, he uses all of these superlatives to describe what Jesus is doing. It's he says he goes to all the cities. And in those cities, he cures every sickness and every disease. You get the sense that this superhuman Jesus, there is nothing he cannot do. And I think that if we were to stop right there, that Jesus fits really well in our culture. I mean, we, if you're a student, you need your report card to be filled with pre-AP or AP classes. You need to make sure that every single day of the week as an adult is filled with some extracurricular activity. And then we need to make sure that everybody is put together in our family, our bodies are put together, and then we are also, at least monthly, serving our community somehow. We would look at you. We look at each other and we think, golly, there is nothing she cannot do. There is nothing he cannot do. But you see, that's not, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't create the Westlake machine, the Lake Travis motor, the Oak Hill engine. Jesus didn't create any of these Texas standards. You see, Matthew tells us this because it's too much. Because even though Jesus went to every city and cured every disease, Matthew tells us a crowd has formed. The harvest is plentiful. And for some reason, Jesus decides that it's going to be up to other people partnering with him that are going to do this work of healing. There is much work to do. And then we have the crowds, and the scripture tells us that Jesus looks in the crowd, and he says, it says that he has compassion for them. And I've told you this before, but it bears repeating that whenever the word compassion is used in the New Testament, it's most likely going to be the Greek word splagnizomai. And it sounds like I'm like spitting or, or vomiting on you, because that's kind of what it means. It means from your very bowels. And y'all know what I mean when you see something and you, or you hear something and you feel it deep within your soul. 
Jesus looks out at these crowds and he feels compassion for them. And the scripture tells us because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I got caught up on that word harassed because I thought, oh, is this like the same thing as harassment? Is this something, some wrong has been done to them? But that's not the Greek word that's used there. Matthew uses it one other time in his gospel. And it's when Jesus is before another huge crowd of people. We know 5,000 men at least. And they have been following Jesus all day. And Jesus looks out at that crowd and the disciples say, send them on their way. And Jesus says, no, if I was to send them back, they would faint, for they have not eaten all day. And that word faint is what Jesus uses when he looks out at this crowd. You see, this crowd is weary. They have been out there in the sun all day. They are faint. They are exhausted, much like many of us might find ourselves day to day. And Jesus looks out at this crowd, and that is who he has compassion for because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Well, then the third group of characters are the disciples. We can't forget that they're actually there at this scene. And up to this point in Matthew's gospel, the disciples have been following and observing Jesus. Some of them left their nets, left their families, And they have followed. They have observed Jesus heal blind men, make paralyzed people walk. They have observed Jesus literally silence a storm with his words. They have observed Jesus hanging out with people you weren't supposed to hang out with, with tax collectors and sinners. They have been really good observers of Jesus' work. I Love being an observer of Jesus' work. Over Labor Day weekend, our high school ministry does something called celebration. And it's a three-day spiritual retreat. It's modeled after a retreat many of you all have been on that has changed your life called pilgrimage. And these high schoolers, they are loved on. They are cared for. They they are so encouraged to to share affirmations with one another that really is countercultural to what they're experiencing in high school. So one of the things that the youth ministry people have decided is that on the last day, the parents are invited to come to a closing worship service. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't want to go. It was Monday, Labor Day, supposed to be resting, enjoying time off, and I didn't want to drive an hour out there. I didn't want to have to go out there again to, you know, be in community, and I'm supposed to be there as a parent, but I'm also supposed to be there because I'm the pastor, and I didn't really want to go, and I didn't know what to expect. And I walk into this closing worship space room, and on the perimeter of the room are all these rows where the parents and the siblings sit, and the center is just this big open space. And so, The worship service is getting ready to begin, and in pour 180 sweaty, stinky, exhausted, weary, spent teenagers. And then they begin to worship. And they begin to worship with such passion that all the adults couldn't help but worship with that passion as well. And so I'm watching this, and y'all, I I had tears in my eyes as I see kids who don't sing like that here at 1030. 
singing, to their wild abandonment, sweating, so excited about their worship of the living God. And y'all, I loved observing it. And then I left there, and as I came back and reflected with our youth staff, they said, you know, you know what? Year after year, we have such a hard time getting adults to commit to helping out with that retreat. And I thought, well, I wasn't, I was one of those. I didn't want to help out. Let's face it. It is easier to follow Jesus by observing Jesus' work through other people than it is for us to actually do the work. We want our engagement in our life and in our faith, we want it to really fit in with our busy schedules. And when it's inconvenient, it's very easy to just bump down in priority. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus stands there before these crowds of people who are spent, who are tired, who are in need of care. And he has compassion for them. Whether it is passion, like I experienced that day and like I saw yesterday at Austin City Limits, or it's compassion, when you are moved so deep that you know you have to do something to react. When those things happen to each of us, y'all, those are gentle reminders from God that this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. You have been sent to do something. You have been sent into the world for a purpose. God doesn't require any certain age. There's no limit and there's no minimum. There's no certain number of theology or Bible study classes you need to take. You don't have to get to a certain level of wealth. God in Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But what are we sent to do? What did Jesus send the disciples to do? Well, look at this next passage that comes just a few verses after our text. This is in chapter 10, verse 5. And Jesus is sending out the disciples, and he sends them out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to make sure you know that I know that most of us in here have not been called to leave our nets, our family, our homes, our jobs to go follow Jesus like those 12 disciples. I get that. But this passage gives us some specific tools for what it is like to live as sent people. And the first thing that Jesus tells them is, he tells these men, he says, don't go to the Samaritans and don't go to the Gentiles. He tells 12 Jewish men, go out and find other Jewish people. He keeps it pretty simple. He says, go to the places where you already have something in common with people. Those very places where you are already engaged in relationship with others. The people that you are playing tennis with. 
the people that you work with, the people that are in your neighborhood. These are the ones I'm not asking you to go to Austin City Limits and have to get to know all of those people, even though I think it's a really good opportunity. I'm, he's just saying, go, go to your people, the people that you're already surrounded with. That's who you've been sent to. And then second, Jesus tells them what they're supposed to do in those places where you already find yourself. This is what he tells them. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to get more people to come to your church. I want you to go, and I want you to save souls. No. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus is the only one that can save. He says, just go and tell them the good news. Tell them. Remind them. The kingdom of heaven is near. And we do this first just, just by the way we live our lives in simple ways. And so you're in a meeting and you're about to kind of lay down maybe a, a harsh set of truths to your staff and you look and you notice that there's a woman in the room who's obviously struggling emotionally. And so instead of using that CEO voice with gentleness, you tell them what the goals are. You want to watch another YouTube video right before school starts, but then you realize one of your friends hasn't finished their homework, and so you decide, you know what, I'm not going to watch that YouTube video. I'm going to be there for my friend. Or, you know, you only send out congratulatory emails to your teams when they've met their quota. And so you decide, you know what, I'm just going to send out a attaboy and girl even before the quarter's out. This is the good news. You see, our world is hearing so much bad news, fake news. We don't even know what's real. And Jesus says, go, just share the good news. And then it could be in our words. It, it could be that you're with a friend or a neighbor who has lost a loved one, and you say, you know what? We can grieve with hope, for we have someone that has conquered death. Or you're with a classmate, and the classmate says, I'm just so lonely. And you say, you know what? You are not alone. I am here with you, and you have a God who loves you. There are these truths that we can share with our friends, with the people that are right in our spaces. We can tell our friends who just got another diagnosis that, guess what? Cancer, Alzheimer's, any illness, it does not win in the end. It does not win in the end. And we don't say these things in a way where it's like we got it figured out. You know, I, I never grieve without hope and I never feel bad about the state of the world. That's fake news. We, we say, you know what, we do not I do not have it all figured out, but, but I am, I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to have compassion for you One of my mentors, Steve Eason, he was an up-and-coming pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA, and he was called to this church right outside of Charleston in the 90s um, in Mount Pleasant. I'm sure some of y'all have heard of that. And in his time there, he grew that church almost triple. It, it was like 1,300 members, and by the time he left, it, it was over 5,000. And I said, what, how did you do it? What, what did you do? 
You know why I've asked that? Because I'm like, I want to do that. And he's like, oh, it had nothing to do with me. And I waited. I thought he was going to like do the Jesus is always the best answer thing. He didn't. He was like, um, well, you know, I mean, Charleston's population was booming. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. He said, no, there were no new, new, no, no new churches going up. And there was only a limited number of churches where people could go. Well, have you noticed the crowds in Austin? We have 1,200 people moving to this city every month. And I don't know if you have noticed it, but there are no new churches popping up around Westlake. The harvest is plentiful. We have been given a purpose this day. We have been sent into our spaces right where we find ourselves. You don't have to go find something new. Just, just in the space where you are to tell people the kingdom of heaven is near. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.